Yes, my name is Vlada, or Vlad, or however you want. In the beginning, when I was in England, if I introduced myself, I say, Hi, I'm Vlada from Serbia. People always understood that I'm Blader from Siberia. So I'm not Blader, I'm Vlada. And uh, yeah, another thing, just to make easier for you to follow me. You probably think right now, this guy sounds very familiar. That is because I have this Eastern European voice, bald head, and I look like a villain from Despicable Me, okay? <laughs> and it sounds like him. So now leave that behind and listen to the sermon. <laughs> um, I, 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 for years and years and years now, we lived in England. We have tons and tons of English friends. And I had this wonderful opportunity to travel from East Balkans, you can say, Eastern Europe to Western Europe, England. And I had this kind of beautiful, really good, God's given opportunity to observe different cultures. Observe English culture, Eastern cultures, the ex-communist cultures. And sometimes I come here in all the grace to provoke some things that maybe you don't see so much coming from your own culture and from people who come from other cultures, they maybe see some things that you are maybe you know, have kind of blind spots. So I'm going to try to do that this morning. Work very well this morning. Nobody got angry with me <laughs> and everybody actually appreciate. So let's talk about passion. <laughs> Romans 19 verse 9. Uh, Romans 12 verse 9. It goes like this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. And verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and so on. But the verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal. Now, you can find this guy actually on YouTube. There's only one video of him, but somewhere I, I found that in 1780s, there was a guy called William Fugua, who was master of stillness, okay? And he was actually earning money of that, and he actually has quite few entrances in uh, Guinness's book of record. But he was able to stand still for uh, hours and hours and hours that you are just not sure is it a doll or the real man. And he will provoke people on a, on a, on a, on a, on a stage to make him laugh, to try and make him move in any kind of way, to check him in any kind of way, and nobody earns that money. He was able to keep his eyes open without blinking for a whole hour and five minutes. Can you imagine that? He, his world record was 11 hours without motion at all, totally just like at all, not moving at all. And he says that um, his secret was in a very slow metabolism and... And absolute focus on absolutely nothing. Okay? Amazing guy. <laughs> now, you can argue, of course, today, that 
many has mastered that skill. Art of feeling nothing and doing nothing. And as uh, just like somebody told them a long time ago, it's okay to have emotions, you know, but just make sure that you always keep your foot on a brake. You know, always. Just, just in case, just in case, you know, cool is to be passive, a level, control with your emotions, with some kind of whatever attitude. And, and that's very much around us. Now, when I share this this morning, you know, some people come and I feel like they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry, kind of apologetic and feeling guilty for that kind of lack of enthusiasm that maybe exists in other parts of the world. But let me tell you something, guys. You never had a chance, okay? So England never had a chance, and the Western Europe never had a chance, because apathy and passivity, okay, was present in a Western world from the dawn of civilization. In fact, concept of apathy... We are not the only culture who thinks it's, it's cool to not do anything. Okay. Romans believe that. So if you go to the Greeks, even earlier, to the Greeks, for Greek people, particularly for a, for a Stoics, it was the virtue to be apathetic. Apatheia, Greek word, means the lack of passion, lack of pathe, because they will see all these, um, all these, um, all these passions are always connected to some kind of violent emotions. So love, fear, grief, anger, envy, lust, pain, pleasures that's aroused from outside. They see those things as a very negative thing. And I understand in hot climate cultures, this kind of things can ruin societies. Okay? It really makes people on all kind of unjustful, uh, actions that actually create all kind of evil. So, for philosopher of that time, it was wise to be calm. It was wise to be without those emotions. It was wise to be without passion. Apathy was something, it was virtue that you should actually was, was the result of well-ordered life under control. Now, like so many other things, these Greek ideas infiltrated the early Christianity. Okay, so from the fourth century, you had this idea of that kind of God, you know, start to develop. So one of the attributes of God becomes impossibility. Okay, impossibility, which is Latin for apatia. So our God is the God who doesn't have the same emotions like all these hidden gods who are full of the dangerous emotions. Our God is a different kind of God. He's not affected by anything outside. Nothing outside can raise his emotions. Uh, he's not one who is controlled by emotions. And that becomes the doctrine that just starts spreading around. Of course, they took that doctrine, and we want to inspire and be just like God, and they, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, it was, uh, I forgot which guy it was, but in the fourth century, that becomes one of the virtues that you as a Christian should have. Apatheia, you know, which was the result of somebody who loves God, who wants to be all at God, somebody who has his life under control, somebody who has his passions under control. And because Christianity was so much foundation and the biggest influencer 
in development of the Western civilization, you can understand why you never had a chance. You know, you go that Christian idea of passivity, Christian idea of lacking of emotions, blend with the cold weather kind of cultures, which cold weather, the weathers, I mean, that's well-researched things, you know, the weather does affect the attitude and behavior of the people. So you have a cold climate, you have a Christianity of the strongest influence in developing the Western civilization, you have what you have today. So don't feel, feel you know, sorry about yourself. You're just product of history and geography, nothing else. But today, you can look the world, you can look the Western world and say, well, actually, there is a passion around. But we, we often take the hedonism and we mix it with the passion. So we take all these things that's happening today, all this uh, sexual immorality that's happening, all this new sexual revolution, all this search for the new appetites, all this search for the new entertainment and everything, people connect to the passion. But actually, when you look it down, uh, if, 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 if you know, if you are everything you should be, you will put world ablaze said somebody in the 15th century. If you are everything you should be, if you find your purpose in life, you will be automatically passionate. You will be passionate for something. If you don't have that, if you don't find that kind of purpose, you will feel this with all kind of hedonism just to feel that existential needs that you belong, that you exist, that you have purpose, that you have that something to lift you up. So actually the problem with the world today is lacking of passion. If people just find the right passion, the world will be changed. If Christians just find that zeal, never lacking zeal, never lacking who they are in the first place, never lacking that zeal that comes from everything who they are, the world will just turn upside down. Now, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fire burning. And I don't care if you cannot fight enthusiasm for uh, gardening programs, or fishing, or cooking, or football. That really is not important at all. But passionate Savior deserves passionate followers. Passionate Savior, who his passion and love went on the cross for us, is one who deserves that we follow him in the same heart, with the same zeal, with the same passion. It's no wonder that the first Christians turned the world upside down because they had that passion, that zeal, never lacking in zeal. They keep the fire burning in their hearts and they turn the world upside down. You see, that passion was something that gave them strength in all kinds of circumstances of life. That passion was joy when things becomes bad in their lives. <clears throat> that passion becomes wall of protection. Because when you're red-hot Christian, passionate for God, you're too hot for devil to hang you around. Just like a hot potato. If you're too hot for devil, he will leave you alone. Because you're too passionate. Now, passion is closely connected to the ticking on your heart. Okay, so that's when you close your eyes and when you look deep in your heart 
and you're bombarded with the informations of the world around. There is always going to be something in those informations that you receive that's going to stuck in your heart. And your heart is going to tick for those things. Now, Bible uses many words for that, but the one I love a lot because that's how I feel it on my bones. It's burden. God's called that passion burden. It's the weight that you have on your shoulders. It's something that you just can't get rid of. It's something that you constantly live with. You learn how to release it, but it's back again. You learn how to cultivate it. You learn how to use it for the best you can. But it's a burden. It's what Moses says, the burden for your people. It's on me. Now, that burden comes in your heart in two ways. The first way is when God, in all his love and mercy, shows you how broken is the world around you. And he shows you how things are broken and how much people are lost and how much people are in pain and how much the social issues are not where should be and how much his kingdom is not here yet. And God, in all his love for you, is ready to share his heart with you and show you that compassion for the broken world. So one day you open your life, you open your heart and the brokenness of the world it's not something you just say, that's shame. Or something that you pass on the other side of the street. Or something that is just a, a little conversation with the friends. Did you hear the, 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 the news around the coffee table? But something which bothers you. Something that brings pain in you. Something that makes your blood boiling. Something that actually makes you angry. Something that you can't stand anymore. Something you gotta feel, you gotta do something about that, something that makes you crazy. The second thing that God's do is to bring that burden in your heart is that he shows you know, his love, how the world can be. And that's when he, in beautiful picture, he shows you what the world and that issue will be if his kingdom is here. And the future can be different. The future can be better. The future will be absolutely wonderful. And then he shows you that, look, the past is past. The future is not here yet. But you, my friend, the only time that I have to bring that future is today and with you. And then you see yourself that actually you can be a factor of change in all this. That actually you can play some role and you can find the ways how to ease that burden from your shoulders, but being involved in creating that desirable future that God has for you and for your place. So what makes your heart ticks? What in this broken world is pressing you down so much that you must find release in prayer, must find release in sobbing, pleading with God to change things, to bring that future? Because you're so desperate and you have a feeling nobody understands you. And you have a feeling the only person who can understand me is God. And then you come to him and you really see him that he has the same passion. That he has the same love. Same hatred for the sin. That he wants exactly just like you those things to be different. And you know that with him you can release that pain. Release that burden. So every time when you feel the burden, you come to him 
and you pray and you soap and you say, how long, how long, how long, and you feel a little bit better. Makes you come to him. Now, what is that that makes your heart tick? I really want to ask you that, to think deep about that. What makes your heart tick? What is that burden in you? What is that when you hear on the news, when you see on the street, when you talk about that, oh, it makes you mad. I can speak to you until tomorrow what is in my heart and my country and Serbia and what things it really makes me mad. And I'm looking for that day when those things are going to be different. I'm not going to talk about me. That word, zeal, it's a New Testament word. It's a Greek word. It's a zealous. And it means to be jealous. To so, so want something. It makes you to fight for. It means to fight for. It means to burn for something. Zealous means to burn for something. It means to try and do something with all your strengths and all your will. It's onomatopoeic word. Okay? And onomatopoeic words are words which describe sounds. Which means zealous describes certain sound. And the sound that zealous describes is when you take some hot, white hot iron, for example, and you put it in a cold water, you hear zealous. That's that word. And you can take that and you can say, I want to be that Lord. I want to be the hot, passionate Christian. So when I enter in a cold spiritual environment of my neighborhood, that's the word that you can hear around me. That's the word that you hear when you take me and you put me in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a cold spiritual environment. My zealousness for God, my cry for things to be different, it's going to be here and God is going to do something. God's desire. It is God's desire to get us to the point of boiling and to keep us to that temperature. With God, in cooking is a great sin if you overboil something, okay? But not with God. God always wants to bring you to the boiling point. Never to be under the point of boiling. He wants you to boil. He wants every single fragrance and aroma of Christ to come out from you and fill the room. Everything that is there from God to come out. He wants you to boil. He wants Holy Spirit to work so much in you that you're always on the boil. He doesn't want you to be El Dante Christian. Never El Dante. Never pasta with a bite. He wants you to be overcooked pasta. Okay. <laughs> so when you are cooked, when the flavor comes out, people can say, what is that aroma? Why is here different? Why is this is what is beautiful here? Why is this school different? Why is this street different? Why is this community different? Why is this people group different? Why is this, why when those people are together, there is something different about that? Because there is aroma of Holy Spirit overboiling Christians. So all aroma of Christ is popping up on the surface. To the church in Rome, Paul said, don't lack zeal. Don't lack zeal. To Thessalonians, he said, do not put the spirit fire down. Keep the, spy, 
Keep the fire of spirit burning. To Timothy, he says, fan the flame of spirit. Keep it burning. Never lack its zeal. Which means it can't be turned down. Or culturally, it's something that exists in a way that it's maybe not satisfying for God. Keep your zeal. Because one man with a fiery belief can do way more than 100 people with just a passing interest. I mean, we all know that we would rather have five people in a church who are just passionate for God, burning so much for God, than just a hundred visitors who just come and go, come and go, come and go. You can do way more. That's exactly the principles with the Gideon. You know, give me 300 people who are really ready to do something. I'd rather have them than the ones with the divided interest. So how do you wake up that? How do you wake up that? As I said, those Greeks are coming from the hot climate countries, which you didn't need to teach them <laughs> how to wake up Zil. It was there, and he was doing some bad things, and I can understand that very well, because I come into that kind of culture, and I know how temperament we can be, and we need to chill out sometimes. But how do you wake up that in the places when it's not maybe there how if Paul is here, he will say, well, keep your zeal. Come on, burn your fire. Well, John, chapter 2, verse 14 says, In the temple court, he found men selling cattle, sheep and those, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So, I love this. This is Christ being a Serb. He made a whip out of courts and drove all the temple's area both ships and cattle. He scattered the coins of money exchanging and overturned their tables. To those who sold out, he said, there, there, there. Get those out of here. How dare you? No, he didn't say like that. Get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into market? You gotta read like that, okay? Not for a kid's class. You gotta read it with the drama, how actually is. This is a different kind of Christ, okay, than we used to it. We like our little sophisticated Christ. No, 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 this is Christ <laughs> who took some time to make some whip, okay? Who actually went inside and everybody thinks this is a madman with a whip around himself chasing everybody's out, throwing the money away, turning the tables around, get out of here. Proper Serb. And disciples remember that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. Outer, outburst of his anger. Now, if you feel better, you can add holy anger. You can add godly anger. You can add righteous anger, whatever. It was anger. <laughs> Recognizes a zeal. Recognizes a zeal. He faced something. That he could not stand. And he needed to react. There was a boiling point in his heart that everything's popping up on the surface. How dare you? How dare you anymore? This is enough. Something needs to be done. And I'm going to do it. 
and I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to make some whip, and I'm going to chase you out. And he did it. We need to stop. Just like a sick person. When you are sick, you don't have appetite. But to get better, you got to eat. But you don't feel like eating. And you cannot wait to start feeling eating because you're not going to start feeling eating because you're sick. But to get better, you got to make yourself eating so you can start healing process. We got to learn. And we got to stop being polite. Whoops. Are we going to stop being emotionally controlled and allow bad things and the wrong things in life and the sad things in life and the stuff the devil is destroying around us? We need to allow those things to make us angry. Angry to the point of boiling. Angry to the point I got to do something. Now, not like Jesus, we're not going to make a whips, but I got to do something. It makes me angry. I can't look this anymore. It's enough. It's enough injustice. It's enough of greed. It's enough of materialism. It's enough of those things. I can't walk the streets anymore and see this thing again and again and again and again. And I can't just do that. I just pass on the other side of the street. Or I go back to the church on Sunday and give a little prayer. I'm going to do something about that. We got to learn those things, guys. We got to bring this back. Maybe the apathy was virtue once, but it's a hidden vice now. And Paul says, never lacking zeal. Don't turn the fire down. Never lacking zeal, never lacking enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is another interesting word. Enthusiasmos, Greek word, means being obsessed by God. It was a religious word that used for a people who look like obsessed by God. And who is more needs to be obsessed? Who are people today obsessed by God if it's not us? People full with the Holy Spirit. We should be the most enthusiastic people on the streets of London, wherever we walk. Because we are obsessed by God in a world. They saw terribly broken by sin. It will be wrong to not be angry. Wrong to not pass through those things and actually feel something in your heart. Not maybe say, I'm, 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 I'm glad I'm not like you, or I don't know what goes through our minds sometimes. But I actually feel that pain. Every single time when I see in Serbia the little gypsies on a road crossing, washing your windscreens for a little bit of money, makes me angry. What is the... I I make stories. I ask myself questions. What what is the parents behind? What is the tradition behind? What is the family history? How did they come? How are they they ever going to break the circle of that family curse? What will be with their kids? Why are they using money from? Are they earning money for themselves or for somebody else? What is it behind... It makes you sad. You want to do something. You find yourself that actually suddenly you took your shoes off and you walk in the shoes of other person and you start feeling their pain and their history and become somehow slowly becoming your problem. You want to do something. You want to ease that pain because you start living their lives. 
How can you look poverty in the face and not be angry? How can you look polit- corruption? How can you lo- look the rise of nationalism in a Europe? Craziness that's happening. And says, for goodness sake, we haven't learned anything from history. And not get angry. How can you look all this gender confusion and everything and not be angry? How? How can you look all this false promise of materialism and not be angry? You simply, you, if you are a man of integrity and godly conscience in you and, 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 and uh, with, uh, with the God of compassion who cries for this world, how can you walk the streets without not getting angry? With what you're seeing around yourself in a broken world. And how can you not say on a regular basis, how long, Lord? I dream about that future. I dream about that day. I dream about your kingdom coming here. Just to hear from God, well, come on. That's what I want. Because it's the Holy Spirit. I need your hands. I need your legs. I need your shoes. I need your heart. I need your compassion. I need your time. I need your energy. I'm just a spirit, but I need to be embodiment in you so we can actually do something and change something. Now you're in the right place. Anger is something we need to learn and practice and intentionally get back in our lives. Just like a sick person. We need to get that anger. we got to learn that. Because if you don't learn it, you can go on the other side and get unrighteous anger. But you actually can learn and get that godly anger in you and then see what can you achieve when you become the God vessel and vehicle for changing of world. Because godly anger, it's always going to first lead you to prayer. Because you feel anger and desperation and impossibility for you to do anything. For, and then you like a little child, you cry to somebody who can help you. And you come to the God and you sob out your heart and you pour out your eyes and you say how long and you pray great prayers and you do all that and you feel that you're connected to his heart <coughs> and you have a feeling he understands what you're saying and you have a feeling that he's on the same page with you and that you're on his page and that he has a plan and some, and you feel better. And then the next stage is <coughs> you suddenly find out that you Extend the borders of yourself beyond yourself. You almost start remembering. There was a time when I was just thinking about myself and how to preserve and save myself from the bad wolves in the world. But suddenly your borders are huge, bigger. Includes other people. Suddenly you don't care taking your shoes and putting other people's shoes in your feet. I try to understand them and love them. And, 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 and go in their personal history and cry with them and, and imagine how painful must be to be them and be the slave of sin, to be born in that kind of family, to have that kind of history, to understand what it mean to be the victim of the system or, 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 or I don't know what. 
And then you extend your mindset and you become world. You become something bigger. And then, 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 then you actually start finding joys while the joy in the past, thank you so much. <coughs> while the joy in the past was, was me and my needs, suddenly just joy. Your joy becomes putting yourself in the lives of other people. And you just love giving your time. You just love giving your resources. You just love giving everything we have. Your schedules suddenly start being filled with the purposes of God in your day, in your life. And you love it. And suddenly you figure out, wow, I'm creating that future together with God today. That desirable future. And it will be there. Now I'm not just the observer being frustrated. Now my frustrations is release in presence of God. How long? Now my frustration gets released by understanding those people and their needs more. Now my frustration gets released because I actively and vividly, practically do something to change the world. And then you find your zeal is burning in you and is attractive and it's wonderful. Righteous anger is not option. People who accept God's calling on their lives, for people who claim to live for something bigger than their happiness, for people who profess to be committed to what is right, true, loving, and good. Anger is a calling. We are called to that. We are called to feel that frustration. Somebody, long time, Bill Heibel, I think he said, holy discontent. It's painful. It's a having a stone in your shoe all the time. But I'm not discontent. I, I just want, I, this is not just to preserve my life. It's about burning my life. So you can create some warm and light for a people in a cold and a dark environment. What makes you overturning tables angry is what makes you fully alive. Why is that for you guys? I'm honestly asking you, what is that for you? I know what is for me. I know. Kills me. It's burden. The only place where I can release it, it is in his presence. And knowing that today I'm doing something for a better tomorrow. The only place where I can do that. And I love it. Love that thing that I can take my shoes off and put other people's shoes on and try to understand them. The beauty of having compassion and love for people then. It doesn't line that, that you have some selfish love and compassion, but that actually what you have is the heart of Christ and that your heart is his heart and is really taking in your, in your chest. It's a beautiful thing. Jack London said, I will rather be ash than dust. I will rather be super material, material, material. Every atom of me in the magnificent glow than the slippery and permanent planet. The function of man is to live, not to exist. I should not waste my days trying to prolong them. I should use my time. Honestly, there is only two choices in life. You will one day be a dust or ashes. 
It's what you're choosing today to be. Do you want to be dust? Or do you want to be ashes? Burned from God. Burning that kind of magnificent glow. That actually you leave some trace in heaven. What makes you come alive? You need a job. You need all this education. You need all those things. You need to pay bills and everything. Everything. But nothing's going to help make you happy until you find that thing that makes your heart tick and you choose to go for that. Because, guys, it's a huge thing to say, but it's so much true. This is such a true that, 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 that we gotta, we got to train ourselves to live in that. We are the answer to the world. Do you, under, do you get that? That every single person here said, you are God's answer to the world. This church is God's answer to every single problem of the world. You are the one. Nothing is going to change. Do you really, do you really believe politicians is going to change the world for goodness sake? You really believe that those guys are able to bring any kind of change? Do you know how do you, how, do you know how do you, how you recognize politicians on the street? They licking their index fingers and keep them high just to see where the wind is blowing so they can turn in that direction. Now, we need people who's going to turn the wind. Wind needs to blow in a different direction. That's what we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of our commitment. Turn the wind. We cannot allow any more culture to tell us what to be. We got to prophetically tell to culture how it should be. We should stop being just another institution that can offer service to the cultures and the world around us. We should be the bride of Christ. And everybody should look upon us. And everybody should be amazed. And everybody should find glory of Christ and God just looking at us and say, what is that that you have? I want that too. That's who we are. In the old times, in the old times, Roman times, when Roman army will go and have some expedition in a cold countries, England, for example, it was a very important to, to, to keep the fire burning. So military camps will have a one special place where the fire will burn all the time. So every time you need to start another campfire, you go there, you take the fire, you take it there. You need to cook, you come, fight, you take fire for him, you know, you start cooking there. You know, because it was a cold, it was a very difficult to start the fire. Fire means life, fire means cooking food, fire means warm, fire means protection, fire means you can see, fire was life. And they will have a soldiers who will be, who was called fire keepers. And they had only one job. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Laziness is not the option. I forgot, I'm sorry, is not the option. Punishable by death. But those guys were responsible to keep the fire burning. There is so many cold environments around us and spiritually blind that needs fire keepers to keep the fire burning. That's us guys. That's you, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in that cold environment God's put you. 
You're the fire keeper. You're the one who should keep the fire burning. So when God calls these people from your area, for your job, for your neighborhood, for your food bank, for, for I don't know where, calls them, wake up, find some warm, find some light, find some protection. He's going to send you to you because you keep the fire burning. So let's do one thing, guys. Okay? As I said, passion, enthusiasm in my part of the world needs maybe a little bit under control. In some other parts of the world, we got to learn. We got to intentionally. Don't let the zeal down. Keep your fire burning. Never lacking zeal. Be committed to that, that you actually wake up zeal in yourself. And I think zeal is a quite connected to that interesting idea of anger. So we're going to train ourselves. No, I'm not, not anymore. Not anymore. When I face some things that's bad in the world, they're not just going to pass me. I'm going to allow it to hit me in all its fullness. I'm going to take that and I'm going to bring in prayer. I says, Lord, this is what I saw. Tell me. Help me to understand. Help me to take my shoes and put in another person's shoes. Help me to understand how does it look like to be a drug addict? What can be the story behind? What is the family story behind? What kind of parents a drug addict had or have? What does it mean to be underage and on a street? What does it mean to, what kind of home came? Then you're going to start feeling that pain. You're going to start to understand that person. You're going to understand why they swear, why they're so close, why they are so evil, why you're going to start to understand what is behind. And you're going to say to yourself, they never had a chance. Never had a chance. And then God is going to melt your heart and build you up back and says, do something about that. So I'm going to call you to stand up, please. I'm going to call you to stand up. And I'm going to ask you, one by one, as many as you want, I want you to tell to Lord, Lord, this makes me angry. I want you to find that one thing. I want you to be brave. And I want you to say, I want you to hear that. I want you to hear amongst here. Because we don't talk about those things. I want you to hear amongst yourself, among this church, that there are so many people who are angry with things around us. And you will find strength from one another. And you will find group dynamic and a group strength that says together we can do something about those things. So one, two, three. Tell me and tell God very loud what makes you angry.